0: Hello Avril Groom, I'm going to ask you a first question and it's a surprise one because I suddenly realised I didn't know the answer. You are very much focused on watches and high jewellery. When I first met you, you were more of just a fashion journalist and a fashion writer. How did you get into this specific area?
1: Good question, actually. I think it was quite a long time ago now. It was probably going on for, what, 15 years, something like that. Um, And oddly enough, I've always been interested in jewellery, obviously, because it's fabulous, and I've always loved geology and gems and stones. So that was a bit of a sort of a natural thing to do. But I'd never really thought about writing it, because it does actually seem quite a specialist area. Um, And then I got invited just almost as a kind of side issue, somebody asked if I was interested in going to the Basel, the awful Basel watch fair, which I had no idea what I was taking on, Um, and I sort of said, don't know anything about watches, but I'm quite happy to go and have a look, because again, I'd rather associated them with jewellery, because I'd often sort of looked at antique ones and that sort of thing, and I said, well, that's fine, I'll, I'll go along and do this, but I don't know what I can get out of it, and found it was not only very interesting because there was so much going on in a watch, as there is in jewellery. I mean, the making of jewellery and and the making of a watch are both very interesting and intricate, wonderful processes. Um, But I found there was so much to it. And then I also realised that women, in terms of watches, very much got the short straw then. I I kid you not, you know, in those days there was this phrase in the business which was shrink it and pink it. (laughs) Take a man's watch, make it smaller and do it in pink. And that was, and, oh, yes. And it was always quartz as well. And then you realise that real watches have these wonderful sort of automatic or mechanical movements that are all made by hand and actually are like a living thing, because as you see them, the insides of them, they're all working and moving and worrying about. I'm no expert in the insides, I have to say, but they are amazing. I only know the basics. Um, and so I just sort of thought this is a totally fascinating world I don't know very much about. Um, the Basel Fair was, was one of these things where you go and you do or you did it's, it doesn't really exist anymore currently it's, it's coming back but not in its old form um, you literally went for about four days and you did appointments all day long on the half hour every half hour no stopping for anything and nobody gave you any food <laughs> from literally <laughs> nine in the morning till six at night and then you went and parted till one or two in the morning. <laughs> God. no wonder people got a bit fed up with it. And I remember seeing a very well-known journalist that have arrived at the morning in her four-inch heels, and by lunchtime she was in her trainers. <laughs> <laughs> you are walking miles, literally yeah. miles. I think the building was half a kilometre long. And you went from one end of it to the other numerous times. <laughs> so that was what, what got me going on that. And the jewellery, I, I suppose, got added on. And I began to find that I could write things about jewellery. It wasn't quite so specialist. Obviously, there are specialists and amazing experts, and I don't claim to be any of those things in either field. But uh, writing for the consumer press, You need to know a bit, but you don't have to be an absolute specialist. If you're going to write for specialist publications, then obviously you do, but I don't count myself in that category. And I would say it's a nicer world than fashion.
0: Right. (laughs) So on that, writing about it, how important is the history, both in watches and in jewellery?
1: Very important. It's like, it's just the same as in fashion. If a house has history, and its DNA, that is 100% important. And you'd be pretty unwise to stray so far from it that there's no reference left at all. Mm -hmm. And I think the success of a lot of these brands depends they sometimes rather as fashion brands do they'll circle away from what they've done and suddenly start doing different shapes or very different feelings or Mm. different gems if they're jewelers and then eventually they'll probably come back and add a little bit in of something that they've always been everyone's always been used to i mean take cartier you know aside from their jewelry you know how how long have they been doing the tank watch and every other year they do something that relates to the tank in some way. And the same with the jewelry, they're high jewelry. They go back to the old tutti frutti 1930s style or the art deco style diamond bracelet. You know, they go back to those things, even if they've done them in a very new way, because that's what people expect them to do. And it's what's at the heart of their creative inspiration.
0: So then something I've asked you before, but I always think is, is, is kind of interesting, is how much do you have to then know about, in both cases, I know they're very different, but how much do you have to know, you were saying about the insides of the watch, but you do have to know what the component parts of a watch are called, I assume, etc. <laughs> well,
1: yes, I used to ask incredibly stupid questions because I didn't know. Funnily enough, there was a, a, a rather wonderful man called Mark Hearn. Who was um, the the managing director of Patek Philippe? Obviously, a very very famous watch brand in the UK, and he died very recently. And there were various sort of obits and things about him. And I remember thinking that Mark was one of the people who really got me interested because he was prepared to sit and listen to all sort to, of you know cope with my silly questions and actually give me a really good explanation. And you're, when you start, you know you're dealing with people who know a heck of a lot and you think, I don't dare say anything in case I ask a stupid question. Um, but he would explain very patiently. Now, I still don't know. He wasn't the only one. There were other people who were really good like that too. I still don't know a lot of what goes on. I don't know the technical side, but I think I understand the basics of how mm. a watch works and I can identify some of the some of the interior parts. Um, so it's useful to know. Yes, you obviously need to know what, what a dial and hands are. And then you get words right <laughs> like bezel, which is obviously the sort of, the, 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 the bit that goes round it, the, the sort of edge of the of the, of yeah. the paper, basically. And all those things. And it's the same with jewellery as well. I mean, when it comes to sort of looking about how a piece of jewellery is set in a diamond and which part is the table and which part is the pullet and all these different words that come into it you slowly begin to learn what they are by dealing with people in the business and watching particularly with jewellery I mean you occasionally get the chance to go into a workshop and see the jewellers at work which is absolutely amazing just seeing how they do it and
0: absolutely I mean I but I think on on the information one of the things that I find interesting is that If you're talking to somebody, you go after a couture show to look at the clothes, often very few people know actually what the fabrics are of the clothes, even though they're PRing it. But if you go to see jewellery, even if they have to double reference what's in their hand because it's complex, they will know what the stones are and be able to give you much more technical information, it always seems to me.
1: Yeah, I think that is true. I mean, yes, they'll obviously know what the stones are. Occasionally, you know, you see a flicker of doubt and they sometimes have to check because, you know, once you get, say, into the sort of pinky-ready spectrum, are we talking rubies, rubellites, spinels, you know, there are some similarities. And so sometimes they have to, you know, check out just to make sure you've got the right answer. But in general, yeah, they know pretty much and they usually know what metal it's made of, but then you get different colors of gold and sometimes you're yeah. asking, well, okay, what is, what is the alloy of that? What chemical have you put in there? What other metal have you put in there to make it that particular color? And they don't always know the exact proportions. I mean, it's like rose gold can be in one of a number of colors depending on how much copper they've added and that sort of thing.
0: I think the, the thing that also surprised me because obviously I'm nothing like a jewellery or watch expert but I dip in and out of them at various times and I have the luck sometimes particularly at Couture to go and see, see the collections. What also fascinated me, which I didn't even know, was that, there, that many of these things are done as collections. We always assume it's like, you know, a furniture collection or a, or a, a fashion collection but jewellery and watches are done in the same way to a degree.
1: More or less. Um, I always quite like it when, obviously with jewellery, let's start with that. Normally people will produce a collection and they have these wonderful drawings of each piece. I'm talking here about high jewellery, which are unique Mm. pieces, and they're called gouaches and they're these beautiful sort of slightly pastel looking drawings that absolutely put over what the piece is going to look like i guess it's also they can show it to clients before they show them the actual piece and in fact if you end up ordering something particularly if it's made bespoke they normally give you at the end of it the gouache along with the piece itself so you've got that wonderful i didn't
0: know that
1: how amazing it's a normal thing to do which clients absolutely love obviously